0: good well good morning it is the Sunday after Easter and we are still celebrating so thank you all for joining us if you are live streaming us or watching us on a YouTube video after welcome as well we're just kind of hanging out, worshiping. If you are just rolling in, we have a cool little slideshow of the Rebuilding Together project that we did yesterday. And uh, we'll run it again um, after service, and then we'll also post it on Facebook and all that stuff. And uh, we're just so thankful to be a part of that and uh, so thankful to sort of have this cool pairing of, it's really all worship, but it's coming you know, before God and, and really seeking his spirit, but also going out into the community and reflecting that spirit with relationships and in actions and in just loving our neighbors. So I'm just gonna open us in prayer, then we're just gonna sing some songs and hang out. We've got popcorn, we've got coffee. If you haven't gotten that and we're singing, you can still get up and get it. It's totally awesome. You can bring it into the church, it's all good. We don't mind vacuuming up popcorn here and there, it's no big deal, but just welcome, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much this morning for the blessings that you give us. The fact that even, you know, a random church in the middle of the West End can change the lives of people just by showing up and uh, pulling some weeds, I'm just painting and all that stuff. Lord, we just praise you for that. It's so easy for us just to uh, take a moment out of our life to try to step into your shoes and, and just love this earth, Lord. So we just praise you for that this morning. We praise you for Easter. We celebrate that every Sunday. And we just thank you for that awesome time we had, just hanging out with our friends and neighbors, eating some delicious food and just singing your praise. Cause you are risen yesterday, today, last week, tomorrow. And we're just so excited about that. So this morning, Lord, we just dedicate this time to you and we just pray for the movement of your spirit and just a very, very tangible presence for each one of us moving us to think, question, even doubt, but at the end to be closer to you. Amen.
1: Done great things. Oh healer. Yeah. Oh hero of heaven, you conquered the grave, you freed every captive, break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awakened alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things You've been faithful through every storm You'll be faithful forevermore have done great things and I know you will do it again for your promises yes and amen you will do great things God you do great things oh hero of heaven you conquered the grave every captive and break every chain oh god you have done great things we dance in your freedom awake and alive oh jesus our savior your name lifted high oh god you have done great oh hero oh hero of heaven you conquered the grave you freed him captive and break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, God. Above it all and hallelujah God unshakable, and shake a we hallelujah You have done great things You've done great things And hallelujah God Above it all and hallelujah God unshakable, and shake a bowling hallelujah You have done great things done great one more time hallelujah and hallelujah God above it all and hallelujah God unshakable and hallelujah you have done great things you've done great things oh yes. oh hero of heaven you conquered the grave you freed every captive and break every chain oh oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great.
0: This morning, Lord, we just pray for a reminder of the celebration we had last week. We just pray for a reminder of just the question, what is our resurrection story? A reminder that we've been resurrected for those of us who doubt that, Lord, and just an excitement around that and bringing new life and resurrection to the earth, Lord. Amen.
1: Your name.
0: Victory! All praise will rise to Christ. i right, sing our time. Your name, Your name is victory.
1: All praise will rise to Christ.
2: I take it, there we go. I knew you all would hear me, but our online friends would not have been able to. I can make myself heard in a small room, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I cannot be heard around the world from just my natural amplification, as loud as I can be. I wanted to share with you a little bit of a reading that I am doing uh, in the living school um, from Thomas Merton. This is a book entitled... uh, of his a collection of disputed questions. He's talking about the life of solitude, and when he means solitude, he, he doesn't mean going off and being a monk or a hermit in some isolated place, but being okay about being alone, uh, being okay about being yourself. Um, And one of the things he says is uh, that we oftentimes anesthetize ourselves to the world around us by lots and lots of diversions. We we find lots of ways to avoid dealing with stuff, with our doubts. Mostly by watching more television or listening to more radio or going out and doing something else, whatever it may be. Cutting the grass. I mean, you know, I don't know how many times I'm facing. The problem is when I cut grass, I have more doubts about a lot of things when I'm cutting the grass. Mostly because then all I have, I'm alone in my thoughts. Want to be solitude? Get out there and cut grass, and you'll find out you're really uh, alone. But. Um, one of the things he talks about in A Life of Solitude is this. This is uh, part of what he has to say. The anguish of realizing that underneath the apparently logical pattern of a more or less well-organized and rational life, there lies an abyss of irrationality, confusion, pointlessness, and apparent chaos. And he goes on to say, isn't that uplifting? That's an uplifting moment there? Um A person who takes responsibility for their own inner life faces the full mystery and in doing so comes into the presence of the invisible God. So uh, today as we think about doubt, and that's what we're talking about later on today, um, uh, as we think about doubt, think of it as, uh, I want us to think of it as a gift. But later on, we're going to talk about it as an opportunity, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about our friend Thomas, the doubter, or doubting Thomas, as he's been labeled uh, for a long time. Um, so, but before we get further into worship, um, let's just take a moment to be present. I think one of the ways that we divert ourselves is just running off with our thoughts. What's in the future? What's in the past? what didn't I do, what did I do, what I wish I didn't do, what I wish I will do, all those things just run around like little dances in our brain and keep us from in this moment realizing, wow, I've I've got this doubt thing going on. Um, So when you find yourself running away, take an opportunity to breathe and be in that moment. Trust that God will be in that moment with you. And even if you can't trust that, doubt that God can be with you in that moment and maybe you'll get past that doubt to something else. I uh, will talk about that more I don't want to go into the sermon yet so let's breathe in and then out and again in and out in one more time out attend to your breathing today attend to your breathing during worship if you find yourself distracted wondering whether you're online Uh, maybe you were part of the team yesterday and you're just rolling out of bed because your muscles are all hurting and you're watching us online in your pajamas drinking your coffee eating your ibuprofen for breakfast um the uh, uh just remember here we are In this place, in this moment, connecting with the God who loves us here, now, as we
1: go. between the two of us
0: I really struggle with that
1: I struggle to believe what Jesus said his promises for us here on the earth so let's sing that one more time in the chorus and just kind of let that sink in that I believe I believe what Jesus said and I hope you do too i Your blood has covered What we get is what you pay for Cause through your death Our lives reborn The joy of our salvation Let's sing that again For what we lack What we get get is what Shout out I will sing of your love for me As you reach out I can feel your arms around I'll shout out I will sing of your love for me As you reach out I can feel your arms around I'll shout out I will sing of your love for me As you reach out, I can feel your arms around Oh, I shout out, I will sing of your love for me As you reach out, I can feel your how can i contain it i cannot contain this love and praise will be my song how can i contain it i cannot contain this
2: When I was 18 years old, I went off to college. It was really the first prolonged time away from, I'd been away from home for a week, you know, summer camp with the Boy Scouts, those kinds of things. But the, uh, the prolonged going away, you know, to Charlottesville uh, was a wholly different kind of a change for me. Now, when I was in college, um, I started off as an international relations major and then ultimately became a religious studies major somewhere along the way. But before I became a religious studies major, I I took a class. um, Introduction to New Testament. I thought, you know, hey, I've got the Sunday schools down, stuff down basically, you know, pretty simple, straightforward faith as I understand it. I will take the introduction to New Testament with uh, Professor Gamble, Mr. Gamble. Uh, at, at UVA, we don't call anyone doctor. So, Mr. Gamble, arrogance at its height. We're going to go there in a minute. But in any case, uh, if Mr. Jefferson was never more than Mr. Jefferson, there was never... Well, who goes there? Um, it, you know, back in those days, I could recite, uh, in any case... As I walked the hallowed grounds uh, to class each day and sat uh, sat in uh, Harry Gamble's class, um, I came to call Harry, Harry the heretic um, because he challenged my faith. I had that wonderful, simple, straightforward faith I had learned in Sunday school. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It was just whatever my Sunday school teachers had said whatever the Bible said exactly I mean when they start throwing things at you like what the Roman Empire was like in the first century and how all of those other things played into why this was the time that uh, Jesus might appear in the world and why it was important and what he stood up for and it didn't fit into my simple understanding of what faith was and made me doubt some of the things I thought I knew already I, uh, I just decided that the easiest thing for me to do, instead of doubt, was uh, to call Harry a heretic. You know, uh, you know, not even call him Professor Gamble or Mr. Gamble. I was, he was just Harry the heretic to me. You know, and I'd come back home and I'd hang out with, uh, you know, some of my, cl- my friends. And at the time, I was living with two two guys. This was my second year at University of Virginia. And uh, I was living off grounds, and I was living in an apartment. And I'd come home to two guys who were atheists. So there was, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, conversations, uh, I, I couldn't tell them how they were blowing my uh, faith out of the water because they didn't have faith to have a conversation with me about. So it was, it, you know, this was... The worst time in my life, if only because, or the first opportunity I had to doubt, because no one had ever said doubt was okay. I lived in a world of faith or doubt, one or the other, not faith and doubt, which go hand in hand. And so as long as I had one or the other, all I could do was have these doubts and say, I don't have space for that in my brain, and hold them off over here in some kind of magical abeyance where I didn't have to look at them, think about them. I just had to regurgitate them so I could pass the test. And I got an A in Mr. Gamble's class. Uh, But... It was because I regurgitated, memorized facts instead of letting the things I learned in that class in any way speak to my soul. I missed the opportunity. Why? Because I thought doubt was wrong. I thought doubt was bad. I mean, the fact that one of the, uh, we, we don't ever talk about the accomplishments of Thomas the disciple. We talk about him as doubting Thomas. That's who we call him. Doubting Thomas. I grew up with Doubting Thomas. And it was never a, oh, look, it's Doubting Thomas, one of our favorite disciples. It was like, oh, it's Doubting Thomas. The only, only way you could be lower is like Judas, the betrayer. <laughs> you know, uh, what's lower than Judas? Uh, you, you could only be lower than Thomas by being a betrayer. So uh, let's, let's just be honest. Doubt is a part of life. I used to think that if I had bad thoughts about somebody and they got sick, it was by the power of my magical thinking. We grow up as small children working that way. We have magical thought patterns. We think if we think bad things and bad things happen, oh my gosh, I caused this thing to happen. We get all caught up in that. And then we begin to doubt that we had anything at all to do with that. Just because I had a bad thought, that's not why Janie got a cold. (laughs) You know, I wished that she was feeling bad and suddenly she had a cold. Oh my gosh, look at my power. (laughs) Except then eventually, you know, sometimes I would think that thought and Janie wouldn't get a cold. Or I would think a really positive thought and want somebody to get better and they wouldn't. And then what do I do with that? Well suddenly magical thinking doesn't work anymore. So I have a choice. I can keep thinking that way even though it's not working or I can maybe stretch out of the box that I was in. Now let me just tell you something. In between space, which is what I like to call doubt, in between space is really uncomfortable. I really like to be in the destination or at the origin, not in between. I'm not fond of the in between space. You know, who likes to be, well, when I was in college, being on a road trip wasn't a big deal, you know, because in those days, I could drink, you know, a six-pack of straight-up Mountain Dew and eat a pound of Twizzlers on the road, and it was fine. Now, if I do that, I would get really, really sick and gain 15 pounds on the drive. So, uh, can't do that anymore, but road trips, the in-between space, the uncomfortable space of not knowing, that's hard. That is really, really a hard space to be. So you and I run away from it. Can we just be honest with each other? We run away from it. When I don't know the answer to the question, I don't know is not the first thing that comes out of my mouth. (laughs) Somebody asked me a question, I don't say I don't know. (laughs) I say, well, and then I make something up that sounds plausible. There's a reason why I always win that dictionary game where they give you a word and you have to make up a definition and it sounds plausible. I win that game because I can make a plausible definition out of something that's not even true. Now, never mind that as a pastor, people ask you really important questions and you make something up. It's not a good thing. (laughs) So, and pastors do that as a regular, I'll just tell you, it's a regular practice. We make things up. I generally don't try to make things up, which is why you get a sermon like this on a Sunday morning. The fact is, I doubt. I struggle. I went into the living school thinking I was just going to deepen my faith and it was going to be an easy journey. Eight months in, I have entered the dark night of my soul. <laughs> which works great for John of the Cross in the, middle, you know, in, in the Middle Ages in Spain. It does not work so well for James. When he's got to preach about something about God every Sunday, and sometimes he feels he's in the dark. It's not that I think God went somewhere. It's I can't see God the way I used to. I can't see and experience God the way I used to. Now I see God either everywhere or nowhere, and it's freaky. Some Sundays I stand up here and I look out at your faces, and all I can see is Jesus. All I can see is Jesus in every one of your faces. I could hold up a mirror and say, behold, the image of God. Behold, the image of God. And you could see yourself. Now, most of you would be uncomfortable with that. I did that recently. I was at a conference in Albuquerque, and they had a spiritual space, and you could go into the spiritual space. And in one of the corners of the spiritual space, it had a sign. That said, behold, the image of God. And right underneath it was a mirror. And you could sit in the chair and look. Behold, the image of God. You are made in the image of God. The Bible says that. But I don't believe it. Most of the time, I don't. You want me to tell you the truth? I don't believe it about me. I believe it about you. I have no problem believing it about you. There are some people maybe in the world who have a little challenge believing it about. But that doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't make it any less true. But I can't see it when I look at myself in the mirror. Why is that? Why is that? And only I will be the one who can claim that for myself. You can't tell me no matter how many times on a Sunday morning you say to me, James, you've got the image of God down. I can see it in you. You you can say it a thousand times. And I can't hear it. Just like when I say it to you, how many of you can really hear that you're the image of God? How many of you would be okay if I held up a mirror and said... Behold, the image of God when you see yourself. How many? You would doubt that too. (laughs) You see how doubt is an insidious thing that goes right to the core of you, and yet at the same time, if I hadn't sat through that semester with Harry the Heretic, I don't know if Professor Gamble's dead now or not. I don't know. I suspect so. But if he's still alive... And he's watching this live stream. I'm really sorry, Harry. Um, Because as I look back on some of the things I learned in that, uh, it, it broke open what I understood about faith. Because faith didn't become smaller and it didn't go away, it got bigger. It got bigger. But I had to be willing to sit with the question. I had to be willing to sit with the doubt instead of rush off and turn on television for two hours. Sometimes when we're struggling with doubts, we find something to divert ourselves from actually sitting with it. Anything. We'll do anything. We'll rush out to the bar even if we don't like hanging out there, just so we can have a couple of drinks and forget. Or we'll turn on the television. Or we'll pull up our iPhone. Or if you're an Android person, whatever version of Android phone you have. Anything to distract ourselves from being in this moment and dealing with the doubt that is eating us away. Now let's get to Thomas because that bad boy is one of my heroes now. He's one of my heroes. I want him to be one of yours, but I can't make him yours. You'll have to decide for yourself. Chapter 20. Now what's interesting is this is one of the very last stories Uh, in the Gospel of John, one of the very last stories. Uh, Well, before the resurrection stories and the fish feeding at the side of the lake, all these other kinds. But in any case, here it is. Uh, Chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. Thomas, the one called the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Ah, Thomas knew better. He replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left in his side, and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. So, after eight days of sitting with his doubt, (laughs) I'm not believing this, His disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them this time. I've always wondered, where was Thomas that other time? Where did he go? I used to kid around and say I thought he went to like 7-Eleven to pick up like a gallon of milk that ran out. Somebody had to go. He drew the short straw. I don't know. After eight days, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see me and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other things, signs that is in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Some people, some scholars believe that's where the gospel originally ended. Doesn't that sound like the end? It picks up then in verse, there's a whole other chapter, chapter 21. Originally, it's believed John, the writer of John, may have stopped there. And then thought, well, maybe I'll tell a couple of those stories about how Peter wanted to be a fisherman all over again instead of actually being a disciple. So he goes back out and starts fishing. But uh, that's where it ends. With a story of doubt. And with a promise and a blessing. Happy are those is another way for blessed are those who believe without seeing. How many of you have physically, literally seen the walking, talking Jesus besides in the movies? None of you. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those. those. You know, if there hadn't been a Doubting Thomas, there might not have been another show up for Jesus to come and say, hey, look at this. The first thing I noticed about this 20 years ago, the first time I really remember preaching about Doubting Thomas, the first thing I noticed is this gift made Jesus show up even for just one. And the one he showed up for was not the faithful one, but the doubting one. And if you really want to know, the other 10 disciples that were there when Thomas wasn't, doubted the report of the women to begin with. <laughs> they didn't see Jesus rise, only the women saw. So if you really don't think women should be preachers, uh, we wouldn't have Christianity without women preachers. There would have been no proclamation because the first preacher was Mary Magdalene. <laughs> and she came and said, I've seen the Lord. And what did the men do? say? say, right. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, it's a, I mean, there are so many wonderful aspects. And these are the kinds of things that Harry Gamble told me about, and they're the kinds of things that I thought, boy, that boy is so full of manure. <laughs> Has he even read this book? He must not have been in my Sunday school class. (laughs) He must not have been in my Sunday school class. And yet, over a lifetime, God's love just keeps getting bigger. And my understanding of God. While I was uh, at my intensive retreat in in March, it's been a long time since I've done spiritual direction, but the opportunity for us to have spiritual direction while we were there was offered. And so I sat down with Gigi, who is a staff member at Center for Action and Contemplation for an hour one day for some, for some uh, spiritual direction, uh, spiritual friendship, whatever you want to call it. And I said, Gigi, I, I've got a real problem. All my ways of knowing aren't working anymore. She said, well, tell me what you mean by that. So I went through all my years of education, growing up in the church, all of my Sunday school. Perfect attendance for 18 years, remember? 18 years. That's a lot of stuff to learn in 18 years. If that door was open, boy, I was at that building. My undergraduate degree, my seminary degree, I read the Bible every day. I've been a pastor for 31 years, 27 here. All the ways of knowing aren't working for me anymore. I said, but I just keep feeling like I'm I'm falling into this abyss of something bigger than me. Something like love. And I'm kind of coming to love everyone. And everything, and it is weird, but all the things I thought I knew in my head don't work for me anymore. And Gigi said this to me, you know, this is what spiritual directors sometimes, I don't know what they do, you know, I don't know. But she said, you know, James, love is a way of knowing. Love is a way of knowing. And perhaps it's the only way of knowing God. If you're really honest with yourself, it's not about this knowing God, because I don't care how big your brain is and how smart you are, and a lot of you are pretty smart. I know that because you come here to listen to me. So how smart can you be? Some of you watch online, smart, wicked smart. I know you're smart. But no matter how smart you are, you cannot know everything there is to know about God in this thing. No matter how hard you study, no matter how many books you read about the book itself, You can't know all there is to know, but you can know all there is to know if you know love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments were, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And then he quoted from Leviticus the one time he ever did, the rule book of the Old Testament. One time he ever quoted it, and he found a good quote in there. From Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, what are the commandments? Love. There's this interesting, we sing it almost every time at Beer and Hymns. If you come to Beer and Hymns sometimes, you'll probably sing this song. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That's how they'll know we're Christians. Not by our judgment, not by our hate, not by our protesting, not by our throwing things at each other, not by our killing Muslims and Jews and atheists, not by any of those kinds of ways. That is not how God will ever, anyone will ever know we're Christians. They will only know by our love. Love is a way of knowing. And the deeper I fall in love with you and the world in which I live, and this God, the deeper I know this God, And it's no longer a way of knowing that I can always talk to you about, which is probably freaky for you. And it's a little freaky for me because I got this gig (laughs) where I have to show up every week and say something to you about something I know, which I don't. So now I'm saying all these things I don't know. So, in summation, (laughs) like that ever happens. Doubt is not as bad as you think it is. In fact, doubt may be a real gift to you because it's the in-between space between what you thought you knew and what you may yet come to know. Speaking on, on behalf of love, I never imagined 27 years ago I could love Linda as much as I love her now. I thought I loved her as much as I could 27 years ago. I mean, you know, how much more could you love a person? I married her much more could she love? She married me. I think that was more, you know, kind of crackheadedness. you know. Uh. <laughs> but she, she stayed with me for 27 years. And 27 years later, I can't imagine loving her any more than I love her now, but I love her way more than I did, more completely than I did 27 years ago. So I can only imagine that later I'll love her more. How is that even possible? And there was room for more love because then Hannah was born. And I thought I didn't have any more love to give. And suddenly there was love. And then Joshua was born. And suddenly there was more love. How did that happen? Because there was an in-between space where more and more and more. So stick with when you have a doubt, don't run away. When you're doubting God's presence in your life, when you're doubting, don't turn on the TV. Don't pick up your iPhone. Don't turn on the radio or sing a song. Sit with it. Why do you, where did this question come from? Why are you you wondering about that thing? Maybe you have somebody you trust in the world. Let's hope you have at least one. Talk to that person, you know, I'm having this real, this real doubt, and it better be someone you trust well. Because you don't need one of those pat answer people that says, oh, don't doubt that. You'll go straight to hell. (laughs) Because that's just poop. (laughs) They don't ever get to decide that for you. Uh, You get to decide that for you, I suppose. But they don't get to decide that for you. Doubt can be the doorway to something deeper, something new, something fresh, a new way of seeing, a bigger way of seeing. Or maybe it can bring you right back to where you were and say, no, I don't doubt that anymore. That's absolutely true for me. But you only find that out as if you can stick with it. I want to tell you the most courageous thing you may ever do. It's not taking the first step in faith. It's taking the first step in doubt. <laughs> and hanging with it until God opens a door on the far side or a window or a slit, you know, the mail slot. I don't know until God opens that space. I want to encourage you to be courageous in your doubts. I'm not encouraging you to doubt everything, although sometimes you will. Sometimes you will. It's hard to have faith in this world. God says we are good, and we walk around, and people... You know, I've got to stop getting all of the reports of Alexandria crime, you know. (laughs) They tweet to me automatically. It's hard to feel good about the world. God is in the struggle with you. Ask good questions, because out of good questions come better questions and relationships. So ask good questions. Struggle with your doubt. Walk with friends who are in doubt. And love them anyway. Because you know what? God loves you in your doubt. If God didn't love you anyway, God would not have shown up for Thomas. Eight days later, let him hang with his doubt for a little while. Maybe it'll be good for him. <laughs> and when you least expect it.